If you will, open up to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to stay in Ephesians 5 and 6 this morning. We've been looking through a series in this month entitled Responsibility. The first two weeks, I hit the guys. Responsibility of men. And in the next week, last week, we looked at the responsibility of women. And this week, we're looking at the responsibility of the family. What it means, the responsibility of the husband, the responsibility of the wife, and the responsibility of the children. And if you're here today, you are a child of someone, right? So we're all in that category. So if you're not a husband or a wife, hold on. I get to you because we're all a child in some way, shape, or form. So uh, we'll get there in just a moment. But as I, as I think about this, you know, as I said, we're talking about husbands and wives and children. And uh, I just want to recognize a few things. When we, when we think about marriage, you know, there are different levels of when you go through the years, Okay. And first off, this, I just want to see a, see, a, uh, see a show of hands here in just a moment. Um, you know, if you've been married for five years, now this, the first few are kind of strange, but if you've been married for five years, that's called the wooden anniversary, like wood. <laughs> I was like, that's interesting. Uh, Ten-year anniversary is the 10, T-I-N. That's the 10th anniversary. Fifteen years, anybody know what that is? That's crystal. That's the crystal anniversary. 20 years is the China, not like China the country. I think it's more like China the plates. <laughs> it's the China. Anybody been married for 20 years? All right. Wow. Good deal. All right. 25 years is a silver anniversary. I can't raise my hand on that one because I ain't been married 25 years. Anybody been married for 25 years? Wow. Lots of hands up. Awesome. All right, 25 years is silver. 30 years is the pearl. Anybody been married for 30 years? Wow, look at that. All right, here we go. Now we're getting up here. 40 years is the coral, coral anniversary. Anybody got 40 years? Oh, wow, here we go. You know, 50, y'all, 50 is very commonly known. It's the golden anniversary. Anybody got 50 years? Oh, we got one, two, three, we got several back in here. Okay, all right. Um, 60 years is the diamond anniversary. Got any 60 year? Oh, one, two, three, four, five. Five at the 60 year mark. Amen. Woo! All right. Diamond anniversary, 60 years. Man, what a blessing. And it's 65 years. Y'all know what that is? 65 years. 65 years. 65 years. That's blue sapphire. Blue sapphire. That's what you've been wanting. <laughs> the 70th. Anybody got a 70th? This year. This year, 70th. Tom and Patsy? Almost. Tom and Patsy, almost. Mr. and Ms. Short, almost 70. That's platinum. And then we go from precious metals to oak. 80th, the 80th anniversary is the oak anniversary. I, I, I said, I told you last said, that's interesting, isn't it? But, man, let's give these a hand. Man, how awesome is that? Praise the Lord. Amen. And listen, I, I want you to understand as we look at this today, there's a beautiful passage of Scripture that I had not ever read before until I was studying this passage of Scripture that's found in Malachi, which is an awesome passage of Scripture. Um, 
When we consider the union of a man and a woman in marriage, we must understand the great bond that is intended. There is a great bond that is intended in the marriage. And in the book of Malachi, it is written, The Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth. She is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? So from this text, Malachi indicates that God breathes a portion of the Spirit into each marital union. Marriage is set in motion and defined by God. Marriage is to be set between one man and one woman. The institution of marriage is so God created, God ordained, God sanctioned, and God breathed that he stands as the judicial contract maker and witness at every wedding. Today we'll look at the responsibilities of the man in the family unit, the wife in the family unit, and the children in the family unit. Let's open up to Ephesians chapter 5, starting there in verses 25. We're going to go down through uh, chapter 6, verse 4. We're going to get there in just a moment. Ephesians 5, starting in verse 22, and um, looking at the husbands first. So we're going to go back to verse 22 in a little bit. As God started with the man in the garden, I'm going to start with the man right here today. Okay, and I started with the man in the series, so I'm going to start with the husband in this portion today. So today we're going to start off looking at the husband's responsibility. We find that in Ephesians 5, 25 through 33. And it says this. You can look in your copy of God's Word. You can see it here on the screen. Verse 25 begins like this. Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as they love their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body and of his flesh and of his bones. And for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So as we look at this, and we start off with, these, with the husbands, when it comes to being a husband, the Lord initiated the first instance there in Genesis when he walked the woman, later named Eve, down to Adam and presented uh, the woman to the man, when he presented Eve to Adam. And from this interaction, we see the traditional procession of the wedding ceremony. We see the father giving away the bride to the groom. We can see that marriage is not a human construct. Rather, it is a God-ordained creation. And we can understand it to mean that the husband and wife are to be united exclusively, indivisibly, in one flesh with a lifelong covenant relationship. Jesus emphasizes those points in Matthew 19, 6, where he says, What God has joined together, man must not separate. Most of the time, the separation of a husband and wife comes through the work of the devil. Because we've not allowed Christ to be the rule of our lives. We've allowed everything else to be the rule of our lives. And when we let that happen, then the devil wiggles his way in there as he is so schemingly good at. And he causes problems in the marriage. 
We have got to keep Christ. The Holy Spirit is the seal of our lives. And if he's the seal, nothing can break that seal, not even the devil. So if we live in relationship with Jesus Christ, be in study in the word of God, it is going to be very difficult for the devil to break up a family when Jesus Christ is the central part of it and the Holy Spirit is the seal of it. We have got to be dedicated to Christ in our lives, in our marriages, and as husbands and as wives and as children. We've got to be pursuing Christ. You know, building this from this understanding, what responsibility does the man have to the family? Well, let's look there in Ephesians 5, 25 through 33. And then we're also going to look over to chapter 6, verse 4, when we get to that point here in just a moment. It says there in verses 25 through 33, the first thing it says is what? Husbands do what? Love your wives. Love your wives. Now, love, we could go into the definition of love and all the different types of love, but I just want you to understand this. This is a father, this is Jesus Christ to the church kind of love is what is being tried to be spelled out by Paul here. And what did Christ do for the church? He left glory. He left all the praise of heaven and humbled himself to the point of death on the cross for obedience to the Father and for the bride, the church. Men, we got to come off our pride and humble ourselves in obedience to the Father and for love for our brides and serve them and love them. Just as Christ loved the church, is what it says. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. That's who we are. This is a sacrificial love. Sometimes you got to say, you know what, what I want to do isn't as important right now. I've got to sacrifice that because I've got to love my wife. She might be going through a hard time mentally, emotionally, all these different things. And we see that we can uh, care for our wives as Christ calls us to care for our wives. We are not to be on some pedestal. Yes, the Bible says that the man is the head of the household, but that doesn't mean that you're a dictator ruling on a throne. Jesus came and lived a life just like you and I did, but without sin. So as husbands, we are to try to pursue a holy life for ourselves, which in response will be a guidance to our wives. This says, this is the model. Now granted, are we perfect? By no means. I by no means perfect. Don't get confused. My wife will straighten you out if you think so. All right? This is the thing, but we are to pursue holiness. And as we pursue that, we are bringing along our wives. And if you're a young man and you're dating or whatever, you're, you're living a life that brings honor and glory to Christ so that whomever that bride may be one day, she sees that in you and says, I believe I could be tended to, kept, protected, and loved as Christ is called a husband to be loved by this man who is pursuing holiness. But a man who pursues no holiness, women don't be a part of him. Don't be a part of any man that is not going to pursue Christ first. Because if he's not pursuing Christ first, he's not going to pursue you second. And, or, or better yet, if he does pursue you, once he gets you, he's going to not pursue you like he did. Because he doesn't understand what it means to follow after Christ, to deny himself and to take up his cross. It's a sacrificial kind of love. We talked about that Wednesday night, Luke chapter 9. 
It's a sacrificial kind of love. Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Uh, why did he give himself for her? That he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. So it's a purifying love. It's a sacrificial kind of love. It's a purifying kind of love. It's a love that says this is what the word says and this is how we will follow after Christ. We're not going to follow after what my mom and daddy did. We're not going to follow after what your mom and daddy did. And they might be great mamas and daddies. But let me tell you something. We all have room to improve. But the best place to improve is not from there. It's from here. It's from right here in the word of God. And if we forsake being in the word of God... We're going to struggle in our lives personally. We're going to struggle in our relationships. We're going to struggle in our marriages. We're going to struggle to lead our kids well. We're going to struggle in all those areas. We've got to have a purifying love, sanctifying and cleansing her with the word, with a washing of the water by the word. Listen, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I'm some great saint and I've had a Bible study with my wife and kids every single night since they've been born or we've been married because we ain't. We have not. We have done it. At times it's been consistent for long periods of time. There's times when it's been sporadic. There's times when it's been non-existent. But you've got to make the effort. This might sound crazy, but it makes me think about uh, you've got to make the effort. In, in Pirates of the Caribbean, the, the two little comical guys, they're on the boat. You know, the two pirates. And the one, he's sitting there reading the Bible. And the other one says, well, you can't read. He says, well, God gives credit for trying. Matter of fact, one of the guys says, I wouldn't I? <laughs> and he says, you get credit for trying. Listen, we, we've got to make the effort to lead our families. It isn't going to be easy. The devil's going to try to come in. The world comes in. Our schedules come in. Our phones come in. The TV comes in. Netflix and Hulu and, and football comes in. And we've got to lead our families well. We've got to lead our families well. It's a, it's a sacrificial love. It's a purifying love. To what extent shall a husband love his wife? Look there in verse 28. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. This is a caring love. You know you want to take, we take care of our body. Something ails us, we go to the doctor. We feel sick, we go to the doctor, we take care of ourselves. If our wives are spiritually sick, if they're spiritually down and out, we got to figure out what can I do to lift up my wife? How can I care for my wife as Christ cared for his church? He sees our need. He steps in and brings people to our aid. Husbands, we are to be that person. In many homes today, the wife is the spiritual leader of the house. Man, we got to be better. Husbands, have got, we've got to be better. It's a caring love. We know the word so we can share the word, so we can live the word. And we can, we can sacrificially give of ourselves. We can purify our wives by the washing of the word. And we can care for them just as we care for our own bodies. Last night, I got in there, I cut my hair, I shaved my face. You know, I, I was taking care of myself, you know. Y'all are probably thankful I put on my deodorant this morning. And, I, you know, I take care of myself, you know. You take care of yourself. 
I, I, go, I go and work out. I try to take care of myself. There's reasons why I do that. I do that for my wife. I do that for my own health. I do that for potentially future grandkids. I do that so that I can have a long life, so that I can be here on this earth longer, so I can share the gospel more often. Listen, the goal of working out is not just to get big muscles. It's so that you can be healthy. It's so that God can use you for a longer, more extended period of time. Listen, we, we got to care, and we should care for our wives in the same way that we care for ourselves. And sometimes we have to sacrifice to care for her. Sometimes we have to be in the word for her, for ourselves, for ourselves, for her, excuse me. And then look, look there in that latter part there. For this reason, verse 31, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. So to what goal shall a husband love his wife? It's to commit to a monogamous, conjugal, marital bond. This is an unbreakable love. It's an unbreakable love. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. We read that out of Genesis last week and the week before. It should be an unbreakable love. Unfortunately, today, so many people get married not out of love for one another, which is not just an emotion, but a choice to get married to one another out of lust. It's the wrong L word to get married for. We get married because we love that individual, not because we lust that individual. And when people lust after somebody and they get married because of it, usually that don't last. I look a lot different than I did when we got married. You know? So if it's based on looks, trust me, things are going to change. Things are going to change, right? But the love that comes, not the lust, but the love that comes is going to be able to see that life that was experienced together creates more of an unbreakable bond. So the love gets stronger, not because of a, a change of physical appearance, but love gets stronger because of more of an eternal bond one to another because that, that husband is leaving. And it's so funny. The husband is leaving his mother and father and cleaving to his wife. You know, there's a TV show now called Mama's Boys. Have y'all seen that? Anybody watch that program? You know, I love a mama's boy. I see it get advertised from time to time. And his wife is battling the mama because the mama's still like hovering over the, the son. Oh, come on. That's got, you got to cut that out. These aren't real men. You got to leave and cleave. Sometimes you might have to leave the city, leave the county, leave the state because mama is too much of a helicopter parent. You got to get out of that. You got to leave and cleave. Not that you don't love your mom and daddy. Not that you don't care about them. But listen, you've got to create that bond. And that person's got to be the person you run to. After you run to Jesus, you run to your husband, wives, or husbands, you run to your wives and not back to your mama. And wives don't run back to your daddies. You've got to leave it clean. There's so much conflict in families because wives don't want to, I'll call on daddy, daddy will come do it, daddy will come do it, or husbands will say, Mama can cook better than you. Ooh. You better get ready. You're sleeping on the front porch tonight. And if you say that ever again, it might not be in the yard. Right? You got to leave and cleave. You got to leave and cleave. 
So it's a sacrificial love. It's a purifying love. It's a caring love. And it's an unbreakable love. And then look over in verse 4 of chapter 6. If you've still got your Bibles open there for, for husbands. It says, And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Now, discipline is essential in the home. But not unnecessary rules and regulations and endless petty correction by which children are discouraged. Kids are going to be kids. And there's teachable moments in that. And then there's times for discipline. And there's a difference. And we need to be mindful of that. Be, be careful about how much fathers... It's so funny, I was telling them Wednesday night, uh, or excuse me, Saturday during our Let's Be Men's conference, uh, Let's Be Men conference. The Bible talks more about a man and how he's supposed to raise up his children than it does a woman. There is more direction to men in how to raise their kids than there is to women. Guys, you can't just cast off the kids to, to your wife and think, all right, she's handling it. We've got to be a part of it. We are a team. We are a team of people who raise our kids. Husbands and wives. Complementarianism is what some people call it. It's what we are. It's what we do. We complement one another. We've got a comparable helper. Let's comparably help one another. So there's this, we can't, discourage our kids the opposite of provoke is encourage do not provoke your children to wrath but encourage your children to goodness promote your children um i saw a post on social media where a matter of fact i'm just going to use the illustration misty had posted on social media about shelby having a, a young girl at school needing something okay Shelby saw the need, came home, talked to mom about it. Said, I'd like, I'd like to help her out. That's called encouraging them to goodness, not provoking them to wrath. We need to be parents that when our kids see needs of other kids, we don't look down on them because they're missing out, but we look up and encourage them so that they can get help. That's the kind of kids we need to be raising. We, we need to, the opposite of provoke is to encourage. You know, in the Roman family, when a child was born, it was laid before the father. If the father picked the child up, it was acceptable and kept. If the child was not picked up, the child could be sold, given away, or even killed. When Paul wrote this letter, this was still a practice being applied by Romans. Just lay the baby before the father. If the father didn't like it, he just turned it away. They could sell it, give it away, kill it. But if you picked it up, they were, they were keeping the child. Fathers as well as mothers need not to say one thing and do another. This happens when one is blamed and rarely praised. By being inconsistent and unfair in discipline. By showing favoritism in the home. By making promises and not keeping them. And making light of problems that to the children are very important. Christian parents need the fullness of the spirit. So they can be sensitive to the needs and problems of their child, children. Listen, we, and listen I, I, I know I probably failed in this area. Not realizing how an issue could be big to my child, but yet I don't really see it that way. We need to be mindful that our children go through things, no matter what age they are in. Whether it's from preschool to college. You know, a problem to them is a problem to them. We don't need to make light of it. 
That's a great way of creating a problem to provoking our children to wrath. We need to bring them up. And the second thing is, is to bring the children up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. The training of the Lord is to know the Lord and His statutes and bring or assist them in, in the training of the Lord's way. To train somebody means that you know how to do it yourself. You don't go to somebody who's untrained and say, hey, teach me how to do this. I don't go to somebody who's never played basketball and say, hey, teach me how to play basketball. I don't go to somebody who's never played a sport that I've never played and say, hey, tell me about this sport. You know, or I don't go to somebody who's an avid hunter or fisherman and, and, or who is not an avid hunter or fisherman and say, hey, teach me how to fish or hunt. They're like, I ain't ever done that. Well, what? That's not going to train me. We're going to be learning together. That's not training. I need to get to somebody who's done these things before. I've coached basketball for years. I, I could train somebody in how to play basketball, you know. I'm not the best by any means, so don't take it that I'm saying that. But I know a little bit about basketball. You know, I can play a guitar a little bit, but I need somebody who's way more skilled to really work with me. I'm not a finger picker. Obviously, you could tell that by how I played. Um, but, but there's people who know how to do things. Husbands, we need to be trained in the way of the Lord so that we can train up our kids in the way of the Lord. And, and we see that because look there in, in Luke 2.52, it tells us that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. How did he do this? It was by the leading of Joseph in his home. I believe that Joseph was a godly husband to Mary, and he was a great fatherly example to Jesus. That's how Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. And our, our children, when we train them up, we're not just training them up to be church attenders. We're training them up to be godly men or women that are productive in the church, but also assets to our society. We need to show them how to work. Show them how to do the things that they need to do. Teach them the value of a good work ethic. But also, teach them a good value of studying the Word of God. Knowing when to submit to authority and when to stand up for what they believe. We got to teach our children these things. Train your children, men. Guys, uh, boys and girls alike, need their fathers. They need their fathers to be men of God, not men of the world. So the responsibilities given to husbands is to submit to the Lord, tend and keep. That's from a couple of weeks ago. Love your wives, not provoke, but encourage your children and bring your children and bring your children up in the training and admonition of the Lord. All right, man. Now we need to talk about the wives' responsibilities. Look there in Ephesians 22 through 24. It says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is the subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. So when we look at this, this text has been abused throughout the ages. It's been abused. But we must view this text in view of Christ being the head of the family. Christ being the head of the family. Warren Wearsby wrote, God gave Paul two reasons for this command, the lordship of Christ and the headship of the man in Christ. When the Christian wife submits herself uh, to Christ and let him be the lord of her life, she will have no difficulty submitting to her husband. When she submits to Christ, she'll have no problem submitting to her husband. Now, husbands, that's also understanding that we are submitting to the Lord. 
It's not submitting to a lost man as the head of your home. The Bible talks about do not be unequally yoked. That scripture has been taken out of context for years too. Unequally yoked has nothing to do with color or culture. Unequally yoked has to do with their faith. Don't you marry somebody who's lost and without Christ. It makes everything difficult and challenging in life. You got a lost person over here who says, I'm not going to church on Sunday. You got a saved person over here who says, I, I, I believe we need to be in church every Sunday. It creates conflict. Ever so often, very rarely, but ever so often, you might be able to find a family that can function and continue on like that. But it don't happen very often. And then when the kids come up, you're getting different ideologies being given in to the children. Because you got somebody who says, you don't need Christ. You don't need the church. You need Christ. You need the church. You need a church family. No, you don't need a church family. I'll get my hands mixed up with your hands always. But anyway, they're arguing back and forth. And there's a challenge in that. We've got to be on the same page. Do not be unequally yoked. And it makes it very, very difficult in the family setting. Very difficult. Both husband and wife need to be believers. And, and we, we talked at length uh, the work of the fulfilled responsibility of the woman last week. And that still applies here in this context. Because not only is a woman capable before marriage, but should be empowered all the more within the marriage. That's the way it should be. She, let me say that again. Not only is a woman capable before marriage, but she should be empowered all the more within the marriage. That's the way that relationship should be. A husband should not be with their foot on the, on the heel or the foot on the throat of the wife saying, you can only do what I tell you you can do. There's input one to the other, but there isn't this crushing feeling of burden. Listen, we've all got the curse of sin on us. We don't need one another holding each other down. Okay? We don't need that. Christ has, if, if you've been set free in Christ, you are free indeed. And as a husband to my wife, I should encourage her to pursue this. If you believe that's God's will for you, let's pray for it. Let's, let's encourage one another in it. If my wife sees that there's something that I see of value that I think this could bless our family, this will honor God, let's pray about it. And if it is, let's move forward with it. You work together. You pray about things. As I said, in the garden, God said, Adam is alone, and I shall make for him a comparable helper, a helpmeet, someone who is equal to, but they have different roles, different purposes within their creation. But we look back, and, and one passage of Scripture, if you look at Titus chapter 2, Titus chapter 2 has got some great insight in it for both men and women of God. So if you'll flip over, if you've got your Bibles open, to Titus chapter 2. Starting there in verse 1, we're going to read down through verse 8. Chapter 2, verse 1 through 8, I'm going to read through it very quickly. You glean from it what it talks about. I'm kind of pointing out as I go because time's getting short. But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. Okay, who's he talking to? That the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, in patience. Men, that's us. That's how we need to be. Uh, older men. I don't know where I fit. I feel like I'm, I'm in between. I'm middle-aged, I guess. So I, I'm going to take both categories. I'm going to be old and young. Okay? Verse 3. The older women likewise. 
that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands. There's young women. Uh, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded in all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works. In doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you, young men. So that's, that's, that's men, older men, younger men, older women, younger women. You see that. One thing that stood out to me when I read that in regards to the responsibility of wives, it says there that she should be a homemaker in 2.5. Now, sometimes people say homemaker. What does that mean? That means barefoot pregnant. No, I don't think so. I think it fully means what we read about in Proverbs 31 last week. How do you make a home? Well, you make a home. She's, if you go back to Proverbs 31, I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but I'm going to just do my bullet points. She's uniquely valuable. She's completely trusted by her husband. She has no limits to her achievement due to her support. Verse 11, she is out for the betterment of her husband. Verse 12, she's skilled. Verse 13, she's diligent. 14 and 15, this is Proverbs 31. She is a good steward of her resources. Verse 16, she is conscious of her fitness. Verse 17, she continually approves her products that she is selling. Verse 18, she is considerate of her community and offers charity. Verses 19 and 20. She is not a worrier as she has prepared for her family and home well. Verse 21. She is mindful of her own care and presentation uh, and her husband's. Verse 22 and 23. She's resourceful with her products, knowing when to sell and when to be charitable. Verse 24. She is clothed in strength and honor. She is a woman of character, verses 25 and 26. She is proactive, verse 27. She is recognized and praised, verse 28 29. She is rooted in the fear of the Lord, verse 30. And she is worthy of all of this, verse 31. That is a homemaker. That's a homemaker. The scripture says she went out in the night and got what she needed and cooked for her family. She took scarlet and made clothes. She saw a field and bought it and planted a vineyard. That's a homemaker. Homemaker doesn't mean that she just sits home and sews and has children and washes. and does all. That's not what that means. It's a fullness of being a woman that loves the Lord because she is in the fear of the Lord. Verse 30 of Proverbs 31 and from the fear of the Lord, she, she is under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And then she's underneath the, Lord, the headship, not lordship, but the headship of her husband. And she should be able to do all those things because they encourage one another. They speak into one another's lives. So the responsibility of wives is to submit to the Lord, tend and keep from last week's sermon, submit to her husband and be a Proverbs 31 woman. That's what God's called her to be. A wife. Now the children's responsibility. Ephesians 6, 1 through 3. Ephesians 6, 1 through 3 says this. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you, and you may live long on the earth. So the first thing 
and the whole capacity of children is this. Their first and primary responsibility is to obey your parents. Obey your parents. Not a lot of difficulty in that, not a lot of depth, but we need to obey our parents. Well, how do children obey their parents? It's in the Lord. You obey your parents in the Lord. This means to obey as part of one's relationship to the Lord. From a father's training, a child should see how to live under the roof of honor that's been displayed to the grandparents. When I speak of my mom and dad, I should always speak highly of them. I should honor them. And even now, when I call my dad or call my mom, I mean, they have no rule over me anymore. I mean, I'm a 44-year-old man. But I take their advice and wisdom, and I call upon them. Listen, I call upon my dad. I call upon Julie's dad a lot of times. I mean, both my dad and, and her dad together, man, you combine them together, it's like Captain Planet. No, I'm just kidding. It's... it's uh, some of y'all that are my age know exactly what I've just said. <laughs> Some of y'all are like, I have no clue what he just said. But when, when, when these powers come together, uh, but, but those two men alone, man, I get so much wisdom from those two men. They've done about everything you can do. I mean, they, they have. So I can call upon them and I, and, I, and I honor them for their wisdom and the knowledge and the life that they have lived. I mean, I am blessed with a father and a father-in-law. And I'm blessed with a mother and a mother-in-law, too, that are amazing also. So we need to obey our parents. Often we observe this portion as a directive to children, those we understand as 12 and under. But in the Jewish culture, where family didn't disperse at 18, children is such a close-knit unit could be considered anyone that is within the authority of the patriarch and matriarch of the family, no matter the age. It's not like today. Our kids grow up, and when they hit 18, 19 years old, they fly from the coop. They're gone. It wasn't like that in Jewish culture. They were trained up in the trade of mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, great-grandpa, you know, all the way up. They were trained in the same skills. They stayed in the same general vicinity. So they understood the honor system of that. It's not like that today. I don't want to be around my mom and daddy. They tell me what to do. I'm flying a coop. I don't want to be under blah, blah, blah. And then you realize you get out there, and then you're calling back all the time. Help me out. I need some help. I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. Because you busted out thinking you knew it all, you bunch of know-it-alls. If I could just be honest with you, I mean, I was, you know, <laughs> I was 18, 19, 20-year-old. I would say that. Be careful now. Be careful. There's a lot of wisdom. As we noticed earlier in our service when we started out, man, we got a lot of marriage wisdom in this room. If you're young and married or thinking about getting married, look around at those that raised their hands that's been married 50, 60, 70-plus years. Man. You've got a wealth of knowledge and wisdom right here in this room. You can glean from them, and I'm sure they'd be more than happy to help you out in that. We need to understand that. Obedience will be expressed differently as a child ages. The expectation of full obedience is required from the youngest child, but obedience uh, will be exercised differently by the older child, and it'll flesh out quite differently. You know, a younger child, you expect them to do everything. I mean, everything, everything. But as, as they grow up, you end up being more like a coach and then eventually a friend. And eventually it's more like your, your friends than you are parents. I mean, although the kids still should honor you as parents, but you have that more of that friendship type relationship. If things, you know, granted, go as, as, uh, as, as we would love for them to go within the Christian home. Uh, honor for the parent as a person, and this is kind of what I'm talking about. I've got it typed out. Honor for the parent as a person may be different than the honor for the person the position the person holds. One commentator put it this way. The text 
that we're reading today assumes an ideal. But what if the reality is far worse? The less integrity a parent has, the more difficult honor will be. At times, honor may even be reduced to honor the office of parent rather than the person. Showing honor should never require distorting truth. The guideline here is everywhere is speaking truth in love where the parent's will conflicts with God's will. Again, the attitude of the early church is the right path. We must obey God rather than men. You may honor the position. You may, you may have grown up and your parents were not good. And I'm not trying to be mean or disrespectful to anybody, but you have parents who made poor choices. They put you in a bad household. And you may not honor that mom or that dad that did terrible things for themselves, which the overflow of that made your uh, childhood, teenage years difficult. But regardless of what you hold for them as a person, you still honor them in the position that they hold. And I think that's important because in today's culture, there's a lot of that. There's a lot of that. A lot of grandparents raising their grandkids because mom and dad have no honor as people. But they should, if you can in any way reconcile that, it's, it's a good effort to try. Doesn't always mean it's going to work out. Doesn't mean it's going to work out. But you pray for that opportunity. You pray for that opportunity and you hope the Lord will bring that. Why do children obey their parents? It's right. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. It's the right thing to do. And, you know, we know what is right and what is wrong. When a child is born and that mom and dad nurture, protect, and love that child, the overflow of that is an obedience due to knowing and experiencing that love. Take the account from Jesus' desire for us to ask, seek, and knock out of Matthew 7, 9-11. What man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. If you then, and I then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Listen, I don't always know the best thing to give to my son and my daughter. I don't always know that. I, I, but I try to give them the best I can. But if I do that, and me being as I am a sinful human being, man, how much greater can my God who is without sin give them wonderful gifts? The scripture tells us that all good things come down from the Father of lights. So we call upon him to give good things. Our children can trust us for good. That is why children can obey and should be able to continue to obey their parents into their early adult years. They should be able to do that. Jesus told his disciples, if you love me, keep my commandments. The outflow of love for anyone, especially one's parents, will be obedience because you recognize they have your best in mind. You think about that child when you first maybe got in the pool with your child, your son or daughter. You know, they're a little scared at first, but eventually you're putting them up on the side of the pool saying, jump to me, and those kids will jump, and they'll jump, and they'll jump, and they'll jump, and dad or mom will move further away, jump, 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 you know, right? And you know why? Because they trust that you've got good for them. They believe that you've got good for them. You're going to make sure that they're okay. That is that is the trust that our kids should have for us all the way through their lives. We should set our children up for as much success as possible. We cannot do for them in many circumstances, many circumstances, but from our own experiences, we can give them uh, every insight or wisdom as we can so they can be prepared. The responsibility of children are to obey in the Lord, for it is right, their parents. 
That is their responsibility. The responsibility of children to obey and honor has been around from the early beginning of mankind, as we conclude from Exodus 20, verse 12, where it says, Children, honor your mother and father. And as that said, it may be well with you, and you may live long on the earth. And, you know, I think that's where the old quote comes, you know, I brought you into this world, I could take you out. <laughs> honor your father and your mother, and your days on this earth will be long. You know, none of these responsibilities can be accomplished without a walk with Christ. The Lord wants the family unit to be united. He wants us to be united in the fear of the Lord. Every week, everything goes back to the fear of the Lord. Psalm 128, blessed is, blessed is everyone who, who fears the Lord and walks in his ways. We looked at Proverbs 31. She is a woman who fears the Lord. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. The fear of the Lord is the base of a great family. If you want a good family that will last and stand the test of time, fear the Lord.